Welcome to the Cycle Systems Academy podcast. Today we've got Sean chatting to Alan Weatherall of Hope Technology, a British company who've been driving technology forward for decades. Over to you, Sean and Alan. So thanks very much for joining us, Alan. Um, there's a great little section on the Hope website about the history of Hope with some great products of uh, old riders and, and the kit as it's developed. But um, for the benefits of the listeners who maybe not seen that or to flesh it out, can you tell us how Hope started and what were the first products? Uh, well, basically started by Ian and Simon. They were engineers from Rolls-Royce. Um, they sort of left and started doing toolmaking business, doing aerospace work in the area. And then they started, they got a couple of employees doing more tooling work for Rolls-Royce and local companies. Um, and then we got sort of into mountain biking and things and decided we should make a disc brake to match the brakes on motorbikes we had before. And we were making it for ourselves, basically. And that's how it sort of started. And then we thought, oh, we can sell these. <laughs> so it sort of evolved from there, really. And what was the route into the industry? Was it friends asking for products for themselves or was there a big launch? No, as I said, it's just it's purely making products for ourselves. Yep. Yep. It wasn't even commercial thought to start with. It was actually making disc brakes for our own bikes. And then we thought we could sell these. So that's how sort of the, the whole company was founded. But one of the biggest things that happened was that obviously with disc brakes, we needed hubs. Mm. So disc brakes were quite slow because we were quite early to the market, so there weren't many people around wanting to buy those. Whereas the hubs um, straight away, they became very popular. So... The sales built on hubs, but actually that our background initially was, was discs before we started, really. So one of the things that um, really stands out when we do the Level 3 course here, while we're servicing both Hope hubs and um, hydraulic brakes, is, is the look of Hope. It's very different. It really stands out. And also in the actual servicing as well, there's, there's a real distinctive sort of Hope feel, a very industrial feel. Was that something that was planned like we want this distinct brand identity or was it that this is how the products ended up and hoke have, have stuck to that as a marketing strategy as it were well we don't have strategies basically we make things that we want to use and be engineers we need to be able to service them as well ourselves yeah so by default it means that it becomes slightly more industrial looking because you can't quite sleep because you can't glue things together or rivet them because you want to be able to service them Mm. So inherently, that makes the look of the products. And also, because we are machining from solid um, and not necessarily using castings and this sort of thing, so it's always a machined look which allows us to adapt things and change very quickly so we can respond to changes in the markets and, and fashions as well as performance issues. Yeah, and that, that brings me on to something else I wanted to ask about, because obviously you're having to build in a lot of adaptability to products at the moment. I mean, now things like you talked about the early days of disc brakes when everyone had their own sort of standard for the rotors and their own standard for the mounts, etc. Um, it's starting to settle down, but obviously um, the hubs need to be able to be adaptable to different axle standards. But now we're getting different overlocked dimensions and such as well. Do you think the mountain bike market is almost tripping itself up with the next big thing seemingly every month? Or is this just a sign of a, a mature industry where there's a lot of you know people out there who want the next innovation? Uh, innovation is good. But one of the thing, problems I think that the bike industry forgets about is that as a consumer, you wait, if you bring something new out too quickly, you're waiting for the next thing. So you're, you're almost... Um, 
put off buying another product because you're waiting for the next thing to happen. So yeah. we had yeah. the same, we had this with 29 inch wheels mm. that it sort of stalled the market for a year while people decided what which was the direction they were going. As soon as they were they were sort of stable, oh, we'll buy a 29er. Then 27.5 comes out, so people sort of stall a bit and think, well, I'll wait till next year before I buy one, just see if it settles down. So they just they just start to buy, and then they go 60, uh, yeah, 27.5 plus. So now everyone's stalled again. Now what bike should I buy? So they're waiting for the market to settle down again. So there is the indecision from consumers probably in the end. Yep. And is is that affecting yourself? Because obviously, as well as the hubs, you are now doing the hope um, hoops as well, the full wheel sets. It's not too bad because we're only we are reacting to people's um, what they want to buy sort of thing. So we don't actually. I wouldn't like to buy making a frame because you do have to make a decision on what you're doing. Mm. Whereas because we're responding to the market we can just supply whatever size wheel you want yeah sure now one of the things that i really enjoyed um i think in the last you know six months or so been a real fun highlight i've mentioned to the students is the video of the hope cranks being made in the factory and i assume that's fairly you know sort of shows how a lot of the, the stuff's made um can you tell us a bit about this crank set how they were developed and, and how they're made as well well it's a long process as it's shown in the video of um going through different designs. One of the problems is because we can change things quite easily and we don't have to commit to mass production sort of techniques and things, that by the last minute we can still change things. So it took us quite a few years to actually finalise a design that everyone was happy with. Um, so that was the first step, actually finalising the design. Yep. We eventually got some forgings made. I think it even changed again, but luckily it was inside the same forging, so we could just still complete that. And then we started producing the bottom machine to... Another CNC basically it's slightly bigger to be able to machine them. So there's a few more processes we've added, like the the broaching now that we we've got a new broach machine to be able to do the splines in them. So there's a few other techniques that we've brought into the factory as well to be able to produce them. And have you done anything special with the the chain ring for chain retention? Well, we do narrow wide chain rings, so we have those. Yeah. But also the way we've manufactured the cha- the cranks because we've got a direct mount on some of the sprockets, it's allowed us to actually do, um, we've adapt straight to the boost standards. So you can basically you can change the um, chaining on the front or spider yep. and move the chain line to boost frames. So it's, it's a really interesting um, innovation, isn't it, in the mountain bike world? I mean, certainly looking at all of the, you know, sort of shots with Eurobike and Interbike, et cetera, we're not seeing front mechs do you think that you know anything other than the one by drivetrain is dead now uh when you when we show the last few events we've done there's still a lot of people out there who like the spread of gears that, uh, that a two by ten will give you yeah so they're not i don't think everyone's totally committed even though the bike industry might think that everyone wants one by ten there is still people wanting that slightly closer ratios and things in the in the gears because there are always a few holes in the even they've got a massive range, which is no problem. Yep. It's the holes in the middle of the range that some people, not so much, not too well amount of bike, but certainly on roadside things, it, it, is, um, it can be quite difficult sometimes. Now, one of the questions when I was sort of jotting down questions to ask you, I thought, is this just a really stupid question? But I want to answer it anyway. You know, when, for example, you watch, um, you know, Alex Higgins playing the snooker, they make it look easy. When you get a Hope Hub, and you pull it apart, and you pop it back together, just with a few special tools. It's so straightforward and easy. Is this like Alex Higgins playing snooker? Is this actually very difficult for you to manufacture a product that's so simple? Or is it you, you keep it simple, 
you know, so people can just service it nice and easily. Um, it's logic involved, I think, just making sure things actually just work together. Yeah. So there's no, don't get too, too intricate because it almost, the more intricate you get, the more likely you have to failures. So we do sort of simplify it, but as a result, it becomes easy service. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I just had to ask that. Um, in case it was a daft question or not. But one, one of the things we've noticed with um, tubeless wheels, for example, is there always seems to be some sort of weak point. It's either in the, the rim itself um, is, is prone to being having a fairly short shelf life because you've got aluminium nipples screwed direct into an aluminium rim. You've got a tape, which is obviously not as good as a fully sealed rim. Or I suppose the diametric opposite of, of the hope simplicity is Campagnolo's two-way fit system where you're chasing nipples with a magnetic insert around the rim with a magnet so in terms of you doing the hope hoops do you think you'll ever do an actual designed tubeless rim or do you like to go with tubeless tapes we prefer to keep it more traditional on those it's like we even go down to the length of we won't use aluminium nipples however much anyone tells you that they won't corrode mm. we have far more experience of them corroded <laughs> so <laughs> we want them serviceable so that in two years time after you've been commuting on your bike, you can take it to the bike shop and someone can turn the brass nipple and seal through the wheel. We've had uh, car rooms in the first, when we were first testing them with internal nipples. I think we got the, the best quality aluminium nipples we get. They have the best coatings. But still within a year, you take the rim tape off and look inside there and the nipple has gone. Basically, it's corroded away. Mm. So if you notice on our car wheels now, we have external nipples. Yep. So I mean, you can actually get to them and true them without actually take the the tyres off and things, so all, all helps basically. Yeah. That's it, very important if you're riding with tubulars as well. Yes. <laughs> um, so one of the, the big, big things is, to be honest, I almost don't want to ask the question because it's become like the helmet debate. Okay, and you know where I'm going, it's the road bikes with disc brakes. If I go on Twitter now or, or Facebook as cycle systems and get involved with the road bike disc brake, it almost gets boring because it's the same people saying the same things and as far as I can see, there's no, you know, definite conclusions yet. But um, what do you, what do you think in terms of road bike with disc brakes? Do people need them? Are they going to be, you know, good in the professional peloton? Is it something just for cycle tourists? I think the biggest growth will be more your cycle tourists because they want simplicity. Yeah. Because they know that the brake works. Yep. Dependability. Um, you know, all the arguments about, you know, dangerous and this sort of thing. Well, straight away you've got, well, fair enough, there's a disc on the wheel, but people seem to forget about this very sharp point thing with spikes on it. It's a bottom bracket with the chain rings. I mean, they aren't exactly the uh, most user-friendly parts of the bike. So there's, it's not that there's the disc any more dangerous than anything else on the bike. So that, that's sort of one, one area that's not really a, sort of a non-argument. Performance yeah, uh, sure. on, on long descents, carbon rims, do fail and overheat on long descent. Yeah, it's a well-known fact. Yeah, it's not even a. Whereas, so discs are better than those. Um, I'm not saying they solve every problem because you can still overheat a disc on a long descent. Yeah, but certainly no worse than you can with a rim brake blowing blowing the tire out. So there's inherent problems with every single solution because you're trying to get the weight down um, on a on a bicycle. So it makes a difference. 
And uh, I assume that you've been following the, the technical developments fairly closely from the big manufacturers. So with, with Shimano, with their system, with SRAM, with their re-release system. Now with Shimano, for example, um, having their Ultegra level group set coming with 140 mil rotors as standard, do you think that they've got the technology so good now with the cooling fins, etc., the ice technology, that that's going to be suitable even for long descents, etc.? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is arguments that say that, well, we always use the analogy, if you have a, a Ferrari going down an alpine descent, yeah. it will boil its brakes if you drive fast down there. So a bicycle is no different. You could actually, everyone would be able to boil brakes somehow. However well you design a product. Um, I mean, there's lorries go up and down the Alps testing brakes, and they'll always boil them. Mm. But it's at, at what level it boils and it all has a problem. Because we like to think that the way we manufacture our rotors with the, the process we've had or we've developed over like the last 25 years we've been doing them, um, that we have very little problems with uh, disc rotors warping and the brake pads we're using are the best quality as well. So they don't glaze up and things and using a high boiling point brake fluid. So we've got every single thing covered to get the, the best possible braking on, on long descents. If you want to break into the bike trade, train your staff, or even learn some new skills just for fun, Cycle Systems Academy has a course for you. Our graduates come to us from all over the globe and train with us to gain the highest recognized cycle mechanic qualifications available. The bike industry supports and believes in Cycle Systems Academy, which means they'll believe in you too. If this side of the market really takes off, one thing, obviously, up till fairly recently, is not many people were in the road bike group set market because you needed to design some sort of very clever and very ergonomic lever. Um, whereas now with electronic shifting or even hydraulic with rotor, although, you know, we're not sure if that has got a place in the market, but there's another thing. But with electronic shifting being relatively simple, you know, do you think that there'll ever be a a hope road group set with electronic shifting and uh, hydraulic brakes? Never know, really. We could do. <laughs> because we've obviously got our B twin at the moment, which we admit is a compromise because you're trying to get use uh, cables to convert it to hydraulic, but at the lever, so it's still well out of the way of all the ground and the road and things. Mm. So like I said, we had we I know that's a compromise. Yep. But we could we we're always looking at this the electronic shifting. But there are some issues on paint, patents and things involved in that. I sure. think that formula and they had a sort of an issue with this over in the past when they've done some um, using sprint buttons and things like this. I think there has been some issues and it's not around anymore. Yeah, for, formula did do some exceptionally um, ugly EPS levers, didn't they? With, with, with the hydraulic brakes. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, with... Um, you know, Magora, for example, have done all the hydraulics for the rotor, um, hydraulic, you know, shifting. Um, you know, do you think maybe that a, a collaboration with yourselves and a group set manufacturer might be, um, you know, something that could happen? Um, it's pretty unlikely. There's no, there aren't many left who would do something, I don't think. So they're all doing their own thing. Sure. I don't think that's going to ever happen. Whether oh, we sure. improve our V-twin, because it's still, it's still a, a market for people well, if you look at all the road bikes coming through or cross bikes with discs on, mm. there's quite a few bikes coming through with mechanical disc brakes, even at the top end. Yep. So yep. for a very small upgrade charge, you can convert that bike to full hydraulic. Mm. 
so it's about you know, just over 300 pounds for our break on. Whereas you want to convert your Shimano system to full hydraulic, mm. or Shimano SRAM one, you're over a thousand pounds for all the chips and things. So we have got quite a, a different market for us, probably just the upgrades on people's bikes. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, I was looking at exactly that on your website just before we started recording. And for anyone that's not ridden them, the mechanical disc brakes don't perform very well. And that's because of all bar one on the market. I forget which one it is right now. Just one pad moves and it pushes the rotor into the opposite pad. I mean, I drive a set of 105 dual pivot caliper brakes than any um you know mechanical disc brake on the market so if anyone out there has just bought a bike with disc brakes on i'd be looking at that upgrade kit very very seriously one of the things that stands out for hope is that you manufacture everything in the uk and just really interested because obviously over the last 30 years we've pretty much lost all of our manufacturing base and we're told that it's not economical so what are the advantages and what are the drawbacks uh, for having everything in-house and manufactured here? Uh, well, there's no drawbacks. <laughs> so the advantages are basically our adaptability to markets as well, I suppose. Yep. So any change whatsoever in the bike market, we can react immediately. And within a few days, we, have, we can change things or we can look at various different uh, processes. Because what we tend to do, we will buy a lot of raw material. So one of the things we can do is like, if we want to make a new stem, we could make batch 25, try them, See if the market likes them. If they do, we'll make some more. Whereas another manufacturer who goes in the far east would probably have to have a minimum order of a thousand and then try them out. And if they fail or something, you know, the, the actual sales don't go on it, they're left with 999 stems. So, do you think that um, as we're seeing the resurgence of um, hand built steel frames, and even in the States and in the UK a little bit now, bespoke hand built carbon frames as well, do you think we could see a, a real resurgence of not only bicycle but component manufacturer in, in the UK? Which all these companies wanted to reshore, which if they didn't send it over in the first place, they didn't want to have to spend the extra investment to reshore it. So they had the confidence to actually stay in the country like we did. Yep. We actually got recommended by the trade industry body many years with a report on us, and they suggested moving all our production to China. It would be more uh, economic. Luckily, we didn't do it. So, but we're actually doing our own carbon now in, in-house. Yeah, so that's so, yeah. The seat post will be out in January, all laid up in Barnoldswick, all assembled here. So it's, it's certainly possible. Sure, and you got the handlebars as well? The handlebars, that'll be quite a while because we're still working on that one, so we're quite a couple of years away on that one, really. So we just, the seat post is sort of quite a good learning curve for us over the last couple of years of developing that one. So we get production going on that and then move over to the handlebars and, and other products later on. Okay, so um, just in terms of um, broader um, economics, if we can go, you know, sort of that broad on it. Do you think, in terms of what you're selling, it's very high quality product. You're competing on price, often exceeding in quality, certainly exceeding in serviceability. Do you think what you're doing is scalable to other industries, or is this a bike market, um, you know, sort of peculiarity that allows you to be able to do this? I think other industries can do it, but they've um, got to have the drive to actually want to do it as well. It comes down, I think we are fortunate in the sort of the level of the market we are at. You know, the, the true enthusiast who wants the highest quality is willing to pay a little bit more for it, probably. Than, so it's quite hard to do the, the very basic level parts. 
yeah. so there is, a, there is a market for everything yeah so I, th- I think we are a little bit unique in this in the area in the back industry really what one thing I, I suppose I wanted to do to, to round up I mean obviously we could talk you know for hours and hours about you know hope and, and mountain biking in general but obviously there's quite a wide range of products you got now you've always had you know sort of um, really good light sets and such as well is there anything else that that's coming out that you're launching that you want to tell everyone about well, really, it's only, we're doing the, the rear cassette we're out in January as well, the new one. We've got yep. 10 speed wide range cassettes, but we've sort of moved more into the carbon development. So it's still be a one be more on those parts, but uh, it will move in that direction gradually. And are you similar to other companies, as in you use your race teams to prototype products, or are you using as many, you know, sort of um, factory staff to test stuff out as well? Well, there is a couple of things there, yeah, because we basically, we have every, well, 120 staff now here, mm-hmm. and every member of staff has at least one bike provided by us, if not a few more. So we've got about 250 bikes around the factory that people use, so that's like a test bed for us. Yep. But as you know, we've got very successful racing in all different disciplines. Yep. Uh, we've got Paul just won this weekend at the Three Peaks, so I crossed with Rob Chip, the other team member second. Yep. Paul used the new wind range cassette yeah. One by eleven gears on his bike this weekend. He had the carbon seat post. Uh, he had the V-twin brakes. So and uh, some new cyclocross cranks that we're trying out to develop at the moment on his bike. So there's quite a few uh, new products on that bike that uh, cause of quite a bit of interest. So it's a very good testing ground. Yeah. And was Paul using any chain retention device on his front chain ring, or was it just the uh, narrow wide and the clutch mesh? Just, just, just the narrow wide chain ring. That's all he uses. So he never had a single issue with the chain. That's great. Well, thanks so much for your time, Alan. Um, would you like to tell us where people can find um, Hope on the internet? Yeah, basically, the website's hopetech.com. We're all on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter as well, with the Hope Tech uh, tag everywhere. So, should be able to find us anywhere. That's brilliant. Thanks very much, Alan. And I just want to say for anyone who doesn't know, there's a brilliant um, tech support side of the Hope website. So if you've got any Hope products, you know, you can just go on there. You can get exploded diagrams. You can get part numbers. There's quite a few videos and such as well. And that will guide you around, um, you know, being able to service the product and order the parts you need. Yeah, it's all there. Thanks again to Alan from Hope Technology for his time. Now, as ever, you can find Cycle Systems Academy all over the internet. On Twitter, it's at CycleSystemsAc. On Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash CycleSystemsAc. And of course, you can find full details of all the courses at cycle-systems.co.uk. We'll be back very soon with another edition of the Cycle Systems Academy podcast. (laughs) 